I've often said to people when we talk that if something, if God allows something to get under your skin, maybe he wants you to be part of the change in that situation. I've stood up here for a couple of weeks, and I have told you that in my heart, one of the things as a pastor that has really weighed on me, best summed up in that line from Pastor Nip, the devil can't trip you up, he will use you as a battering ram. That there is a movement in so many churches of a theology that makes the gospel just a bunch of facts, that separates relationship from who the Jesus that I know and love is. And so I can do one of two things. I could get up here and do what some pastors would do and knock every other church to make this church seem better. It's not our style. Or I can sing about the things I love. And today, one of the core things when it comes to a belief of who we are, I want to focus on that. I want to drive that home. I want to change it up a little bit. I called an audible about 30 minutes before church started because the Holy Spirit was prompting me. We'll see how that rolls. There is a song I was listening to on the way to church. It was called Old Church Basement. It's by Elevation. Featuring probably four other people, because I always do that now. There's a line in the song that says, we got together every Wednesday night about 30 teenagers. He's talking about his friend Josh. Bought a cheap guitar, barely knew how to play it. Wasn't putting on a show, wasn't well-known, wasn't trying to be famous, but we sure touched heaven in that old church basement. The chorus of that song cuts through me. Hallelujah is all I need when I think of your goodness and your love for me. Oh, the joy of my salvation is coming back to me. It's just an old hallelujah with a new melody. And what's difficult when you stand on a stage attempting to give a sermon is when you feel the Holy Spirit so heavy. That calm in the room. That prompting in the room. I'm getting better at driving to church when God puts a song on my heart to try to get closer and closer before I have to just pull over. Kirtland, please probably have me on a watch list because it's usually in Kirtland where I end up pulling into a driveway and I'm just like, give me a second. Give me a second, Jesus. I got to pull this together. Give me a second. The reason that it melted me today was the fact that that song spoke to my heart in the sense that there is a then and there is a now when it comes to salvation. 
one of the things that as a church we need to be well versed in is that Roman road, they call it, that Roman road to salvation, that when you talk to people, why is it called a Roman road? Because it's verses that are found in Romans that can help you to point the truth of the gospel to someone. Because I do not save people, Jesus Christ saves people. That I can stand and give my opinion all day long, but I can speak the word. And here it is in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not one of us in this room that has not been affected by sin and that Jesus Christ does not love and is not able to save. Romans 6.23 lets me know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're working for someone. You're either working for Jesus or you're working for the devil, and I don't want his wages. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And this is what I love. In that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Looking down at the darkest day and saying, I love that one. On days when you hated yourself, saying, I love that one. Romans 10.9 tells me that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when that change happens, Roman 5, 1 kicks in. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I stand here and when I use terms like church family, the glue that holds a church family together is not a nice building that can adequately seat people. No, it is salvation. It is the bond that we have through Jesus Christ that makes us family. It's our common ground. It's the reason that when a casket is placed right here and we have a celebration of life, that I can say that I don't grieve like the world grieves. I don't grieve like those who have no hope. But what I do is celebrate what God is doing. And I'm telling you what, God is doing something. It's just electric. God is pouring something out that we can't make happen, but we can be faithful with it when it does happen. My prayer for this church, God, wherever we may go, whatever we may do, let salvation be the start, let it be the middle, and let it be the end of what we do. Not a hopeful feeling that just I'm going to have a good day, but this hope that is an anchor for my soul. Hebrews 6 talks about it. It's sure and steadfast. It enters into that which is in the veil. The riches of God opening to you because you are a child of God. A hope that was made to weather storms. A hope that will define strength. A hope that grants the former sinner access to the greatest things in the kingdom of God. When I hear that old church basement, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of getting stickers and reaching my hand in the treasure box for learning scriptures. And one of the first ones that we all learn is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what's amazing about that is I was writing, like God keeps putting that on my heart putting it on my heart. I'm like, okay, I'm posting, I'm putting it in there. And what's wild is there are two words that I want to focus on today, and they are both within that, even though they are not spelled out. And those two words are grace and mercy. They are both encapsulated in that verse perfectly. Here's a reality when it comes to salvation. Often when someone gives their life to Jesus Christ, there are tears involved. 
it stirs them to a deep place in their soul that there is a heart change that includes these tears rolling down their cheeks. And here's a reality when it comes to this walk. As amazing as salvation can be, as amazing at that moment when you know you've given your heart to Jesus and you know you have a relationship and all things are new, we can forget that feeling. We can begin to walk in a way where we forget that salvation is the starting, middle, and end point for what we do. For everyone in this room, there is an intersection where Jesus Christ changed you, or there is an intersection where he will change you. In Genesis 22, Abraham takes his son, Isaac, up the mountain. Isaac is this son of promise. God has spoken to Abraham, and he said, take your son up that mountain and sacrifice him. They carried the wood up that mountain. And God, in his mercy, we could say, showed up. Ram in the thicket. The sacrifice instead of Isaac. Abraham calls this place Jehovah-Jireh, God will provide. And see, we have this way of thinking when we read this story that God showed up. God didn't show up when the problem arose. His provision has been there all along. He has gone before you. He was not surprised which spot they would choose on that mountain. He was already there, and he was waiting to show himself in a real way to them. That day, Abraham and Isaac, they were shown the true definition of salvation. They were shown it, and I guarantee that every day for the rest of their lives, they thought about that happening talking to each other. When they went to heaven, I guarantee that when they're sitting around the saints and they're sharing their stories of what God did, be like, check this out. When you hear that Jehovah Jireh, I was there. I was there. And I want to have the kind of testimony that says, I was there. I experienced your grace. I saw it in action. You did not stop. You will not stop. Keep it before my eyes at all times, God. Let your grace always amaze me. Let those tears come out of nowhere when I think about the goodness of who you are. You were enough. You are enough. You will be enough. If you know me, you know that I love a good quote. Here's one. Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance and grace gave him a feast. Don't know who it's attributed to because there's about 6,000 pins on Pinterest. Mercy gave a second chance and grace threw a feast. When I think about the gospel, in myself, even being in church for a while, well, how does that look? How does that look? It looks like this, Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Jesus was talking about lost things in this chapter. And as I read it, I want to break into it a bit. And he said, this is Jesus, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided 
to them his livelihood. And not many days after, that son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that those swine ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I'm going to go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. He had compassion. He ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Bring out the ring, put it on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring that fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. When I read that story, my reaction is not good for that young man. That's awesome for him. My reaction is I was that young man. My personal reaction is that in just about every part of that story, I've been that young man. When I think about grace amazing me, it's because I know what God has done. Personally, I knew the love of the Father's house. That old church basement was filled with it. Eyes wide open, I walked away from it. Eyes wide open, I chose the world. Eyes wide open, truth be told, and according to Scripture, I trampled in the blood of Jesus. Those were choices I made. See, I could give Sunday school definitions of words like grace and mercy. I could give a dissertation. But I took it for granted more than I took it to heart. And there came a point when I witnessed that there is no place so dark that the light of Jesus Christ cannot shine into that. You can get to the place where you forget your name, where you forget all the words of God destiny that have been spoken over you. But the Holy Spirit will make sure that you never forget your way back home. I say this because there's people that sit in this room that are thinking, I wish I understood what this relationship with Jesus meant. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell everyone this. Don't wait until you have it all together to come home. Don't wait until you have it all together. When you get home, here's some advice for you. For all of us who have sat in the pews for years and know Jesus Christ, don't forget the outfit that you were wearing when you stood at the end of that road. Don't forget it. 
And I don't say that in condemnation. I say that because that is the thing that makes this real. Knowing what God has done for you, knowing what God has done in your life, it's not about shaming you. It's about letting you know that's how grace feels. See, grace, what it does, it posts up at the end of the road. It doesn't leave its spot because it's looking, it's watching. It embraces the mess, regardless of how messy it may be. It goes the extra mile. And mercy does not ask the world permission to throw a feast when God's people are coming home. While we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. You know your testimony that you share? We all have this acceptable version of our testimony, right? Well, that devil was on my back and I was a wandering. But the Lord, he brought me. It sounds like a Johnny Cash song, right? Like how we. <laughs> there is a dark part of what God has brought you from. And I'm just going to be really real with you for a minute. The people that God is sending to this church in this house, he's going to be sending into your life. They aren't going to go for the sanitized version of what God has done for you because the deliverance that they need is going to require someone who's going to be real about what God has done. I say that because it's coming. It's coming. That word grace, I'm not going to define it just yet. I'm going to throw out some words that frame it in. Grace is shocking, outrageous, indiscriminate. It's irrational. It seems unfair. It seems ridiculous. It seems absurd. And one of my favorite words to describe it, which I saw, was irreligious. Grace does not exist because I chose a church to come to. Grace existed far before this church was even built. It existed even before the sin that it was meant to cover. Before the ram was born to take Isaac's place, it was there. That grace was there. Before the tree started to grow, that that cross of Calvary would be made from, grace was there. Grace is not a God reaction. Grace is a God attribute. It is who he is. He doesn't save you to keep you a secret. You may say, but my testimony is too dark to share. He doesn't. He's not ashamed of you. He knew who you were. He knew what his grace was covering. He wasn't just saying, I'll take a chance on that one. He's saying, I know exactly who that one is. It is just as powerful and relevant as it ever was. Isaiah 62, 12 says, And they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. You will be called sought out, a city not forsaken. My favorite part of amazing grace is that saved a wretch like me part. When I hear it, I remember where I was. And it makes salvation all the more sweeter for me. Every time that I get to share with someone what God has done, it makes it sweeter. Every time that I am witness to it changing someone's destiny in eternity, it blows my mind. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you're a light. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Every bit of who you are, God called out, 
God put on that hill for a reason. God knows the testimony that's in you may seem imperfect at times, but men do not light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify that Father that's in heaven. Now, better speakers than I would probably have a visual at this point. You know, I saw Jensen Franklin speak once at a Winterfest. Jensen Franklin had pro wrestlers. He had Humvees. He had Harleys. He, he had everything. I'm just like, this guy, this guy. I'm not Jensen, but this would be a great point for a visual. You got my back? Whoa. Okay. I hope that you have an idea of where you're going with this because I, well, we'll see. With this church, they're coming. In your life, they're coming. This isn't like a Tom Baudet moment, I'll leave the light on for you. It's one of those moments where we shine our light. It's time for passive testimony to be put out to pasture. It's time for you to begin living out loud in a way you never had. You want me to define grace? When you look up grace in the original wording, do you know what grace means? It means leaning toward to share the benefit. All right. See, what grace does is it stops everything. Like, how uncomfortable, huh? Well, this is my son. This is my son. And what I love about the story is that even in the dirt, the father, he's like, wait a minute. See, what the Father does doesn't make sense to people. The way grace works doesn't make sense. It doesn't say the Father said, boy, go clean up, get that shirt off. No, he said, go get the best robe and put it on on top of it. On the pig stink, in the mud, in whatever it may be, that's how grace works. Grace leaning down, the Father leaning down. Think about all the things that could have happened that day. Oh, and by the way, we've got this feast here for you. We got California chicken, because we know you like that. This one's Takis, and I'm sure there's more stuff that doesn't contain vegetables. So you have it there. <laughs> that word mercy, it means covenant loyalty. 
God does what he says he's going to do. He holds up his end of the bargain. He does it in a way that he doesn't break covenant. And so I ask you today, get the visual. How does the gospel look to you? How does it feel to you? Because I promise you this. If my son walked in the back door and had been away from Jesus Christ, I don't care what point of a sermon I'm on, I'm dropping the mic and going to him. That sign that we have on the other side of that wall, leave your shame at the door. Pastor, we can't save anyone, can we? But you know what this house can be? It can be the banquet hall where we celebrate. I am ready for the party to kick off here. I am ready to see the lost come home. I am ready to see testimony play out in a way it has not played out. I'm ready to be real on a level that maybe we haven't seen before. And what I want to do is to sing of those things that we love. That son willingly walked away from the father's house. The world took hold of him and thought it defined the story. But the truth of the matter is, then the father spoke. I say that to you because whatever your situation is and whatever it may look like, the father speaks and the world does not get to come back. The Father speaks. And so what I just want to pray today over this church is this. Let us understand grace. If it were not for grace, I would not stand behind that pulpit. If it weren't for grace, you wouldn't be in this sanctuary. Because of grace, when I hear scriptures like these, I hear it differently. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Hebrews 4.16, I can come boldly to that throne of grace. I can obtain mercy and find grace to help me in the time of need. It opens up doors that were never opened before. It gives me access to anything that God wants me to have. I say this to you because even as the son sat at his table, there were people saying he doesn't deserve it. As a church, we need to get past asking the world to give a stamp of approval for the things that God seeks to do in your life. They do not validate you. They don't check it off saying it's acceptable. They don't get to do some kind of, well, we knew who you were. That's the beauty of it. That is the beauty of it. And I end on this. Some of you are scared to take testimony to those people who knew who you were. What would testimony, how could it shout even louder than the people who knew who you were? Be consistent in the things that you do for Jesus and it will preach. Be consistent in the distance you have between who you were and who he has created you to be and it will preach. Every day, day in, day out, day in, day out. They may look and say, weren't you that kid in that dirty shirt? Be like, all I see is the father's robe. If you knew how much I love that jacket.
And so I ask you this today. Do you know him? Do you know him? Is your walk marked by knowing him? If you don't know him yet, today's the day. If you'll stand. One thing that always amazes me when we see visitor cards is the number of people who say, I, I gave my life to Christ today. Made a decision today. Part of that old church basement was this. I had white-haired saints of God who would get my hands and look me in the eye and pray over me, pray with me. And I'm just old school enough where I love that. I don't like the ninja salvation approach. I'm all about praying with someone. So we're going to bow our heads and pray. And what I ask is this. If you do not know Jesus and you want to talk about that, come see me after church. I'm up watch for you on the road. If you bow your heads. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. Father, I thank you that you will drop whatever to come running. And Father, I pray right now for whoever is getting stale in their thought of salvation that you would stir it. Surprise us, Father. Whether it be through a song, whether it be through a whisper, whether it be through a moment, remind us who you are because you are great. And God, for those who don't know you, today's the day. Today's the day that Roman road is just as relevant. Bless this church and bless these people. Hope us to see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.